Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is more than a great picture. It's a thrilling experience and happiness. It's color, music, laughter, and romance all wrapped up in sunshine to make your heart sing. Adorable Snow White, warm, human, waiting for her Prince Charming. The Seven Dwarfs, pompous Doc, the self-appointed leader. Bashful, who is afraid of the girls. Here is Sneezy. This is old, droopy-eyed Sleepy. And Grumpy, who thinks he's a confirmed woman-hater. And there is Happy, with his beaming smile. And last but not least, wonderful, silly Dopey. You'll never forget them, or stop loving them. Magic Mirror on the Wall, who is the greatest film podcast of them all? Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the essential films. I'm Adolfo Acosta, and I am joined by my uh, fairest in the land co-host, Mr. Mark Espinoza. <laughs> Women. <laughs> oh, you feel you sound a little grumpy there. Um, <laughs> Do I? <laughs> On today's episode, we will be discussing the uh, all-time family favorite, um, one of the probably one of the greatest animated films ever made, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, some family, good old family entertainment. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh, produced by Walt Disney, released by RKO Pictures, um, directed by uh, many directors at. Uh, the most of which was David Hand, who was the supervising animation director, um, written by a slew of people, Ted Sears, Richard Creedon, Otto Englander, Dick Rickard, <laughs> that's a good name, Earl Hurd, Meryl Damaris, uh, Dorothy Ann Blank, and Webb Smith, based on Snow White by the Brothers Grimm, and starring in uh, voice roles and Adriana Castellotti, Lucille Laverne, Harry Stockwell, Roy Atwell, Pinto Colvig, and Otis Harlan. And it was released on December 21st, 1937, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, we always go into, uh, when we talk about these films, um, uh, when we when we first experienced it. So um, I'll, I'll let you have the floor, but I'm going to tell you now, I don't remember when I first experienced it because it was a movie that... I saw as a little kid, and I don't honestly remember when it was that I actually first saw it. It just kind of always was there in my life because it's a Disney movie, and Disney movies just kind of have a, a habit of always being around. So what about you? Yeah, Adolfo, I'm kind of in the same boat as you because my earliest memory of it is really my mother buying me the old clamshell case VHS. Clamshell. And, uh, you know, that was we were, had like a big... Disney collection. All I still have all those clamshell cases in the attic in the garage. 
which is funny now. Like I have the Lion King there. I have um, the Jungle Book, Aladdin. They're all in the in there. I mean, the clam showcases are pretty much like worn out to bits right now. But I mean, Snow White is there, and that's really the earliest memory I have watching them. I might have seen it before then. I might not have. I really don't remember. But I do remember getting the the cassette and then just kind of watching it on and off. Like Cinderella was in the collection, also I have at home. And you know, I mean, to me as a kid, you know, I just enjoyed the cartoons. I guess like all kids do, they just enjoy watching the flashy little characters and the colors and all that, all that other stuff. Um, I didn't really grow an appreciation for it as a film, really, until I think was it? I don't know if it was the DVD. It might have been either the DVD the initial DVD release or the initial Blu-ray release, which, by the way, that was one of those things where, at the time, I didn't have a... I didn't, I didn't catch on to Blu-ray maybe until around maybe 2010. I was kind of a late adopter to Blu-ray. I didn't really get my first Blu-ray player until uh, around that time. And it was around the time, actually, I was graduating from college. And I missed out on that initial Snow White blu-ray release which i believe was the very first disney blu-ray if i'm not mistaken and by the time i started kind of growing my blu-ray collection and collecting all these old disney films and all these other films i was like well snow white's missing but you know how disney is with their money grabs that went back into the vault so if i wanted to buy that version now i had to kind of go into ebay and see what i could find and i think i ended up paying about maybe 80 bucks for this Blu-ray back in like 2014, 2015. Uh, but it's worth it. I mean, there's uh, this Blu-ray is like really well done. I mean, we can talk about that later, like as far as like how beautiful it was restored on, on the Blu-ray and a lot of the extra stuff that's in there. But I think it was well worth the price for what exactly the film is, you know. And uh, But it was really upon that viewing, I think, it must have been that viewing, that I kind of just really appreciate just the beauty of it just how well the characters are drawn just how like everything is just how everything just came together and it wasn't until really also that i did the uh, history of disney episode a few years ago with mr eddie and jd when we were starting the disney podcast that uh i really kind of went into detail like how you know kind of the painstaking efforts that walt disney went through to get this made and i mean we'll talk about that you know in a little bit too but you know, all that just kind of combined to kind of make me just grow even fonder and fonder of this film, not just because of how well it's made, of how, how well the story progresses, just you know, not, not just like the, the film aspect of it, but just kind of the story around that film and how basically without this succeeding, there probably wouldn't be a Walt Disney Pictures today. So just everything around this film is just... I find completely fascinating yeah uh and you know you did mention something there um about home video and you know getting the old clamshell um release and you know doing a little bit of research the it's interesting because um vhs was around for at least uh 10 or 15 years and disney did not release snow white onto home video until 1994 on VHS That's and right. Laserdisc. That's crazy to me because I know they released yeah. other movies before then, and the, but they left like their number one, like, um, like probably most famous movie, like, like to 
until 1994, um, which I think is inc- like inc- really strange. Um, and uh, checking also on some uh, on some on some dates here, um, it was re-released several times. Uh, and so uh, specifically in my lifetime, it was released in 1983, 1987, and 1993. So if I had to guess, because I know I saw it before the VHS release in 94, if I had to guess, I probably saw it in 1987 in theaters. Because So like that's the only thing I can think of, because I know I definitely saw it before we owned it on video. So it must right. have been 1987. I don't think I would have remembered 1983, because I would have only been like three years old. But 1987 sounds probably right. So um, very interesting to me that that, uh, that they didn't release on a home video until so late. But um, they did re-release their films many times. And I think that's probably when I did see it. And, you know, kind of like you, just, you know, I, I you know, I, it was a cartoon. It was a cartoon movie. And, you know, you watch it and you you died you know now and then you kind of go move on with your life but it wasn't until like um and you know i grew up with a little sister so like she had all the disney movies and she you know played them all like uh every single day and so like i had probably seen snow white like as many times as i've seen uh little mermaid as many times as i've seen lion king as many times as i've seen cinderella as many times as i've seen aladdin right like uh it it's just one of those movies that's kind of burned in my brain but um, it wasn't until like much, much later that I kind of actually, you know what? It probably wasn't even until like I had a daughter and I started watching it with her that I truly ap- appreciated its beauty. Like now, I always, I've always recognized it as a, as like an important film in like film history. It was the first major uh, feature length animated film, and you know, I knew that the history behind you know how Disney had to get it made, but I never really appreciated it visually. I think until. Uh, uh, until um, I started, you know, I still had a daughter and, you know, I started showing her movies. So, uh, cause when I sit down and watch it and I was like, Oh my God, this is like very beautifully animated film. Um, and it's very interesting and we'll, we can get into it, but like, cause you know, the, the characters like Snow White and the Prince and the Queen are animated much differently than say like the dwarves. So, um, it, it's a very, like they're much more realistic and the dwarves are very cartoony and you right. have them mixed in one movie, but they're, it still works. So, um, yeah, it's a very beautiful looking movie and, um, we can get into it, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's probably my earliest memory is just watching it over and over with my sister, but probably 1987 is probably when I would have seen it first. Yeah. Like I said, I, I can't really remember the first time I've seen it at all. All I remember is just, you know, my first initial viewing that I can remember was when we got the VHS. Right, and I know that um, you, uh, you you mentioned it a little bit earlier that you did an entire podcast uh, called "The History of Disney," where you did and you did talk about Snow White. Uh, I know you only got a couple episodes in. What what were the other episodes you got to? The other movies you got to? Uh, we did. What was the next one after this? I think it was. Uh, oh. I think chronologically, it's Fantasia. Yeah. I think it was Fantasia and something else that we did. I can't really remember at this point because we didn't we didn't get that far, unfortunately, on the show. Um, but there was like one other episode that we did, and I can't remember what it is. Um, let me try to think for you. I know Fantasia's next um, would have been Dumbo. We were gonna do Dumbo. That was okay. gonna, that was gonna be the next step. Oh, Pinocchio. Oh, oh Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah, I think Pinocchio, Pinocchio. doesn't come before Dumbo. You're right. Yeah. All right. 
Um, so yeah, so uh, if you have any, uh, like you, like you said, you probably have some, some notes from that episode. So uh, while we talk about some of the background stuff here, uh, you, you can obviously uh, use some of that stuff um, if it overlaps. But as we noticed before, it was the first full-length uh, animated feature film. Um, and uh, in the earliest um, Disney animated feature film. So it, it kind of broke two records. But it's first Disney anim- feature film and the first full-length feature film, period. Um, this was kind of considered at the time a really bad idea by Hollywood. Um, I, I think it was mm-hmm. called uh, Disney's Folly by uh, by like That's kind of right. the trade magazines back in the day. Because uh, it was kind of considered, why would anybody go sit through like a 90-minute a cartoon? That's insane. Um, and it was really a, a huge gamble for Disney. Who had at that point only been making like short films like Merry Melodies and Silly Symphonies with Mickey Mouse and Goofy and Donald and Pluto. But um, and he, at that point, Disney wasn't even its own distributor. Uh, it, it distributed this through RKO. RKO. Um, yeah. It wasn't its own like it was a studio that created content, but it was not a distributor. So um, it was uh, it was very it was a very risky move for them. Yeah, and this was something that. Disney like truly believed and he felt this was the future of animation like you know he kind of got by all these you know kind of making these you know silly symphonies and all these other shorts you know that he was just kind of you know distributing through RKO kind of getting them into the public which by that time you know that's how kind of Mickey Mouse kind of became almost the not almost he is like the the spokesperson essentially of, of Walt Disney Studios but uh but he felt he needed to go that step further. Like he kind of wanted to be that pioneer. Say, okay, this is the future of animation. You know, we're, we're getting by with these shorts. We can make features with these two. So this is kind of, this was kind of the beginning of him basically coming up with Snow White. Not well, not coming up with Snow White, but basically Snow White was one of his favorite stories. You know, growing up as a kid. So he decided to pick that story to adapt as the first feature length film. And, you know, it's interesting because um, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it's like, yeah, he, these these little cartoons are popular. You know, we think of Mickey Mouse as being like this kind of uh, creation that's been around forever. But at that point, you know, by the time he started making Snow White, because production began in 1930, let's see here, 1933 from my notes here. So that's... A, a full uh, four years before the movie was even released. In 1933, Mickey Mouse as a character, as a concept, was only five years old. So imagine like someone like who's has created this great character, and you know, but it, Mickey Mouse at you know in 1933 was not the global sensation he is now. Like people knew who who he was, but like it still just seems kind of like a such a gamble to do it. Um, his, uh, his brother, Roy Disney, uh, who's also his business partner, uh, like desperately tried to talk him out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Hollywood, like I said earlier, this, uh, uh, described it as a Disney's folly, uh, while it was in production. Uh, he had to mortgage his house to finance the film. That's right. Um, which, uh, seems kind of crazy. And it, um, it racked up a ton of money. Initially he was supposed to. He thought it was only going to cost like $250,000, and that ended up costing him uh, $1.4 million. Uh, I don't know what that is in today's money, but that was a massive amount of money for 1937. 
Yeah, and it became, you know, like his his budget was getting out of control, and he basically was running out of money. You know, like you said, he mortgaged his house to kind of, you know, put up some money for the for the production, and now the budget's ballooning way past his control. So, of course, he's trying to take out another loan from the bank. The bank's having their little, uh, of course, like like all banks do, they're having their doubts. Like, okay, you know, this guy said he's going to make it for this much. Now it's costing this much. Should we really give him more money? Or should we just kind of let him go belly up? Right? So it got to the point where Walt was like, you know what? They need to, I think it was Walt that, that, that said this. I can't remember exactly, but basically the idea was the bankers got to see what we're doing so far. Look how much we've done, you know, and let's kind of give them an idea of what we're going for, you know, cause it's our, it's essentially his last shot. If he can't convince his banker to give him more money, then it, it's over. Right. He can't even finish the movie. So he invites the banker to the studio. They pretty much give him, he, he's pretty much the guy who got the very first test screening of this film. They showed him everything that was completed. So for all the animation, everything in sequence, everything that was colorized, even scenes that weren't colorized yet, but already like kind of, almost done he showed him anything that was not done he basically filled in the gaps himself you know Disney he kind of went up in front of the the guy and started doing the dances and the songs and doing the jigs to kind of give the guy you know an idea of what was supposed to happen at that point in the movie and you know he the the screening's done he gets he escorts the guy back to his car you know and then as the guy's pulling I says to him you know what this movie's gonna make a lot of money that's all he says to Walt Disney, and he drives off. Next day, bank cuts him the check for the money that he needs, and he's able to finish the movie. So that's one of those things that I love. I love hearing that story because it's just a testament to how much Walt believed in this project, and just kind of everything. You know, it kind of just encapsulates everything that he went through to make this movie because it wasn't just a movie for him. This was a labor of love, and you know, I to bring it. Like like I did in, in the episode I did, to bring in kind of people who like wrestling, you know, kind of Vince McMahon and WrestleMania 1, you know, Vince rolled the dice on WrestleMania 1 as Walt Disney rolled the dice on this movie. And with those two things not succeeding, there'd be no WWE today, most likely, and there wouldn't be no Walt Disney Studios today. So the fact that, you know, these are stories, like these are essentially the quintessential American success stories, because it's two guys who's kind of, rolling the dice, going with their gut, and then just kind of, in the end, kind of winning big. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's... Walt Disney is a complicated historical figure. You know, there are there's a lot of skeletons in that Mickey closet, right? Right. Um, and we're not going to get into that. But I will say that, just like you said, there's no denying that he took like i mean he is kind of the idea like the personification of the american dream in that he had an idea and he bet on himself he was completely adamant about his way of doing things and and pushed his idea and his way of doing things forward and it he was rewarded with unlimited success so um not just with this film but this film this film's uh, success opened up like an entire world for him as far as movies go and of course we all know 
what the the giant corporation Disney has become now, which for better or worse uh, wouldn't have happened without Snow White. So um, it's, you know, say what you will about the man or the corporation. You can't take away this accomplishment. This is this was a, a like an unheard of accomplishment at the time. Absolutely. And just, you know, just um, uh, again, like I said, it's such an amazing story to hear because it kind of it's such an inspiration, like like to me and to a lot of people like, you know, when sometimes, you know, you just got to go for it, just bet on yourself. And then, you know, whatever happens, happens. But like it's like they say, high risk, high reward. Right. Um, So, like you said, uh, uh, he had based the um, he had we. He got the idea because it was one of his favorite stories to do Snow White. Um, he had told his animators uh, that he had certain uh, there were certain cinematic influences that he had wanted his animators to watch. But I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, uh, the 1936 version of Romeo and Juliet. It kind of uh-huh. makes sense. But then there's a couple other darker ones, and I think this is probably mostly for the queens and the evil witches sequences. Uh, Nosferatu, uh-huh. uh, the 1931 version of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, probably for the transformation of the witch of yeah, the right. queen to the witch, and the cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Um, those are very interesting. That's uh, a wacky one, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. a wacky one, and like with the German expressionism and stuff. And but it's um, those are interesting choices for for influences for a for a children's movie. Yes, um, and and that's one of the things I, I pointed out too. It's just that I, Dr. Caligari to be one of one of the influences for Disney for for Snow White. It's just kind of it, it, like I said, it's a wacky choice. Um, but you you can kind of see like now that you know that. And then for those who, who didn't know that, and if you go back and watch Snow White and have seen Dr. Caligari, you'll spot it right away. Like, oh, that's blatantly from there, you know? Uh, but it's it's a, it's a neat little tidbit there. Yeah. Um, now, before we go on to some of the other... So I, I wanted to kind of go through some of the, uh, the, the Brothers Grimm stuff. But before I do that, I did want to kind of point out two of the casting choices. Um, one, the first one is Adriana Castellotti, who played the voice of Snow White. Um, I think it's, I just find it interesting because if you look at her career, she didn't really have much of a career after that. She was more or less a voice artist, um, for the rest of her life, but she had, but this is the only thing really anybody's ever known her for, uh, was uh, as the voice of Snow White. She had an uncredited role in The Wizard of Oz, um, in the, during the song, If I Only Heart a Heart, where she go, where you hear that part, Wherefore Art Thou, Romeo? That's her. Mm-hmm. And then apparently she was uh, a background singer in uh, Martini's Bar in It's a Wonderful Life. So right. um, that, those are the two other high-profile projects she was in, and she wasn't credited in those. So um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, probably an essential kind of uh, part of the Snow White um, mythos is kind of largely forgotten. I know she was given a Disney legend status back when they started doing that. Um, mm-hmm. but it's still like, I mean, it's, it's interesting. That's probably a name that's going to be forgotten except for like film and Disney nerds. Yeah. Which I find interesting, you know, like the voice of Snow White and like nobody other than us, <laughs> a handful of other people actually know what, what her name is. But, uh, but I, what I also find interesting though, is basically the way that she even got the role, you know, Walt Disney was very adamant that he did not want to see the actors because they were bringing in like voice actors from all over to kind of audition for this role and he was basically very adamant that he did not want to actually see the actor in the flesh so what they did was they basically 
had his speaker set up in Walt's office. He would sit there and he would listen to the auditions through the speaker. All he wanted to hear was the voice. And like, I think originally, like the, the person that they brought in that they really wanted to be Snow, I don't know what the actress's name is. Um, he said, well, she doesn't sound, this might sound weird in 2019, but she, he basically said, well, she, her voice doesn't sound 16 enough. She sounds like she's 30, right? Just off the way. And I think the actress was like maybe 20, 21, but according to Walt, she sounded like she was 30. So that didn't work. And then so they kept like auditioning and auditioning other actresses. And so finally, you know, Adriana Casalotti comes in, you know, she auditions, he hears the voice and he instantly, you know, loves it. So that's how basically she was cast. Like, you know, it basically Walt Disney just listening to her through an intercom system and just deciding that, yes, yeah, that voice sounds like a 16 year old voice or whatever. So I thought that was interesting. Too. And you know, what, you know, what's interesting even further is that, um, that voice is so kind of iconic to that role that like anytime you see like any sort of parody of like a princess movie, you know, like the voice they're always imitating is a Snow White voice. Oh yeah, definitely. Like they're always trying to go for that kind of I don't know I don't know what you would call it. It's, it's kinda it's, squeaky. It's kind of, there you go. I, I don't want to squeaky, but since you said it, I'll say squeaky. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's kind of like no one would make that choice in 2019, right? It like yeah. it's a choice that like only someone in like the 30s would make because it's it's very out it's a very outdated sounding kind of voice, right? And it's it <laughs> verges on annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it verges on annoying. I, I mean, you. you know, no disrespect to Miss Castellati, but it verges on annoying. Um the other uh, casting I wanted to point out here was Lucille Laverne, who played the Queen. Or, as I found out in my research, she has a name. Her name is Queen Grimhild, which I didn't oh. know she ever had a name. I just thought she was the yeah. Queen and the Witch. I just didn't know that her queen, name yeah. was Grimhild. Um, probably from the the story, the actual story of the Brothers Grimm. But I do not believe they ever call her by name in the film. I think they no. just say she's the Queen or 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 the Witch. Um, but the and you know she had a very decent career as like a character actress. But what I wanted to kind of point out was that she has a really good evil voice. Like she would really played that role well. Um, uh, it, it, I can hear it in my head. Like when I when I when I just think when I see the any image of the queen, I can hear it in my head. Oh yeah, she was incredible. I mean, everybody here, everybody who who did their part was incredible too. I thought you know. Adriana Casalotti was great. You know, Lucille Laverne was, was incredible. Just the quintessential, like, evil voice, you know, perfect for the queen, you know. And just everybody here just was, was amazing. But we'll get to that in a little bit, too. Yeah. So I wanted to go through something real quick, which I thought was interesting. Um, I did a little research into the Brothers Grimm story. And I wanted to see how much of it uh, was translated. Because yeah. famously, a lot of the Brothers Grimm stories were a lot more... Um, grim and to no pun intended uh then like later adaptations would you know popularize them as so i kind of wanted to see what any um uh i didn't read the story but i just kind of kind of read a synopsis of it of uh of the kind of differences that there would be um and a lot of it's a lot of it is 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 pretty much translated the magic mirror is there um the glass coffin is there the queen the seven dwarfs um the poison apple all there um, the things that were not like one of the things with the, with the dwarves is that they were not named. They were just seven dwarfs and they were mm -hmm. not given names until um, a, a Broadway show 
in the 1910s. They were given names, um, but they were not the same names given uh, in the until in the 1937 film. So the 1937 dwarves, uh, and by the way, it's dwarfs, not dwarves. I, that was something I can't like. I keep wanting to say dwarves, but it's dwarfs. Dwarfs. It's okay. it's a hard thing. To, I don't know to, for my mind to wrap around. Uh, but they weren't the names in the 1937 film were actually unique and owned by by Walt Disney. So like they those aren't from the story at all. Yeah, when you when you really get into like the original Brothers Grimm stories, and that's something that we had fun with on the on the other episode I did. You know, it's just you're amazed that they're even considered children's stories with how dark they can get. Especially when you go if you've seen the uh, not seen if you've read the. Uh, the Brothers Grimm version of Cinderella. Now that's that's pretty dark, I think. Um, and but we, we had a blast talking about that too. But uh, I think Snow White is a similar situation. Like, you know, they kind he kind of took the best parts. I don't want to say the most family friendly parts. I don't think that really mattered all that much. But he took I think the most essential parts and kind of just Disneyfied it and made it you know made it his own. Speaking of uh, <laughs> parts that were Disneyfied, um, though another difference is. In both the, the the story and the movie, the queen does uh, demand that the the huntsman come back with the heart, which right. is really kind of gruesome. But in the book, in the story, the reason she wants the heart is so that she can eat it and become as beautiful as Snow White. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> um, she um she also comes to the cottage. Several times, not just once. Um, the first time uh, she she brings, you know, disguised uh, a ribbon that whenever she whenever Snow White puts it on, uh, she faints. And uh, but the the dwarfs come back and help her. The second time, I think it's a comb. Um, and again, the dwarfs come back and help her, and 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 you know she faints again. And and then the third time is the apple, the poison apple. But like. After each time, the dwarfs keep telling her, don't trust people coming to the house. So in the original stories, Snow White is just dumb. Like, dumb she keeps yeah, trusting much. this old woman who keeps bringing her sh- that makes her almost die. <laughs> I mean, women. Well, that was taken out of them. <laughs> As Grumpy said, like, women. I mean, what else, what else is there to say? Um... Also, the original ending is way less romantic. Uh, in the movie, obviously, we have the true love's kiss who wakes her up, but in the in the story, you know, she you know she goes, she quote unquote dies. She's in the glass coffin, um, and the prince does kind of stumble upon her, um, but then he he wants to take her to a a rest or like a resting place or whatever. And as he's ta- as he's transporting her, like the. The coffin, like someone who's carrying the coffin trips and the the impact of the trip dislodges the piece of apple in her throat, which which uh, which revives her. Yeah, that's way less interesting than the kiss just than the uh, prince just coming up and kissing her. Yeah. So let's just call that change maybe a a better change for the story. That's a better change. And then even even more, the the story doesn't end there in in the in the story in the original story, because the queen thinks that Snow White is dead, and she asks the the magic mirror who the fairest in the land is, and of course the mirror still says that well he doesn't call her by name. I think he just says that the prince's bride is the fairest. Um, so she goes to the uh, <clears throat> she goes to the. Uh, the prince's um, like he has a big party or something. He goes to see the she goes to see the prince, and 
she doesn't uh she doesn't recognize though she once she recognizes Snow White, the prince makes her dance with red hot iron slippers until she dies. <laughs> and then that's the end. Family fun, everybody. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so uh Disney probably is the better the better version of this. Yeah. Sorry, Brothers Grimm. Um, now, I know that the Brothers Grimm, like, you know, m- my understanding is that they basically kind of just toured, uh, like, the countryside and, like, collected, like, the these stories that were kind of told by, like, people in the, you know, in their, um, in their travels and then kind of made their own story from that. So I don't think they really created the story. They just kind of collected it and retranslated it. But still, little little dark. Little dark. Yeah, I was gonna say like some uh, those people who aren't familiar with like the the original Brothers Grimm tales of a lot of these like Disney movies definitely go back and check out some of the odd stuff that that came about in the eighteen hundreds. You know, like it's just it, it's wacky. You know, when you see like what was what the original story is and then what Disney made it into, it's just it, it's it's pretty fascinating actually. Um, and then just a couple other kind of production notes that I think is interesting. Um, so Disney wanted to kind of focus a lot of this, a lot of the projects, especially with the dwarves on like on gags because they're, you know, they, they were going to be the, like the humor, like all the humor and like, um, what's what I'm looking for? The, the, the innocence, the humor, all that stuff was going to come from the dwarves. Um, and they didn't have all the names of the dwarves picked out ahead of time. What they had, so they what they did, they basically put all these names in a hat, and they kind of and they were working from these different uh, different uh, potential names. Um, now we all know the names of uh, of the dwarfs. Um, you know, Doc, Grumpy, Happy, Sneezy, Sleepy, Dopey. Who am I missing? I'm missing one. Bashful. Bashful, thank you. Um, but some of the other potential names, I find some of these funny. Jumpy, Deffy, which it's just a bad yeah, idea. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yep. <laughs> Dizzy, Hickey, Wheezy, Baldy, Gabby, Nifty, Sniffy, Swifty. Lazy, puffy, stuffy, tubby, shorty, and burpy. Now, when I said these names on on, on my other show, I, they they thought these were gag names. Like I was just making this up. Like I, like we are. I was. <laughs> I, I had to like explain like twice. I am not making these names. These are actual names that they could have used for, for the dwarves. I, I like. T- and, I like. I like tubby and burpy the best. Yeah, and then we were like Deffy. Like, are you seriously like Deffy? That's my favorite. That's my favorite one of like of of being a bad idea. Deffy. And what do they try to say? But with Hickey too. Like, I mean, that has a couple of connotations. Yeah, I wonder if this if it had the same connotations in 1930s that it has now because that's yeah. Um, and obviously they ended up going with the the seven that we know now. Um, but the the other kind of change that they made uh, was that the initially the the queen was like. Way more cartoony and fat, um, and the prince is more is much more goofy. So I, I think it's interesting that they did kind of go in the direction to make those characters much more realistic uh, in in exchange in in um uh, in contrast to the dwarves. Yeah, like you said, it it just works. Like you kind of you know you kind of make the dwarves funny looking because they are in a, in essence the comedy relief, and then 
you know, you keep people like Snow White, the Queen, like the people kind of shaping the central story, kind of, you know, keeping them the way they are as, as, as quote unquote, like realistic humans. So that way to kind of keep at least the people invested in the story. And like, yeah, this is a, pretty much a serious story trying to tell. We're just, you know, the dwarves are here to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. So, so one thing I found out that uh, some of the um, scenes of, uh, of uh, Snow White and the Prince and the Queen um, were rotoscoped. Do you know what rotoscoped is? That process yes. is? Um, right. Which I think is interesting. Um, not all of it. Like a lot of people think that the whole, their all of their scenes aren't, but it's not. Apparently, some of them were. Um, but then the most of the 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 majority of them um, are traditionally drawn animated. Um, now, for our our listeners who might not know what rotoscoping is, it's basically taking live action footage. So you're shooting the subject with like a live action subject um, on film, and then what rotoscoping is then taking that film. And tracing it, um, tracing each frame, uh, frame by frame, um, so that whenever you animate it, it looks like a cartoon, but they're moving much more, quote unquote, realistically. So if you 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 can definitely catch it when you see it. Um, if you've ever watched those, uh, like the the cartoon Hobbit movie uh, from the seventies. Um, and some of those Lord of the Rings movies from the 70s, those cartoon movies, those are rotoscoped, and you can tell uh, mm-hmm. just by the way the characters are moving. And when you notice it, you can't unnotice it. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I think they did it a little bit with um, uh, with the Anastasia movie from the 90s. Um, I think they did it in there, too. You can't unnotice it when you see it, because it, it looks, re- the movements look realistic, but it's a cartoon. So it kind of messes with your head a bit. Um, and, but for the most part, it, it was traditionally animated, but some of them were rotoscoped and I, I haven't gone through the movie to, to figure out which ones were and which ones weren't. But when you do notice it, it's, it's kind of like, oh yeah, there it is. I really don't like that style at all. I, I much prefer people just to make up their own movements and draw that instead of like tracing it and, 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 and animating it back because it just looks weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can kind of understand why they wanted to go for that especially with you know people like snow white and the prince i know the 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 queen wasn't rotoscope i think all of that was kind of was all just regular animation style um i know that i believe uh who was the guy um i think it's the thing it was grim natwick i think that was the animator um for those who don't know he's the guy who i think was the original designer of betty boop um back in the day um so he was given the task of drawing Snow White because according to Walt Disney, you know, he kind of knew, he understood female anatomy. Let's just put it that way, right? is <laughs> a weird sentence to say right now. But so he, he gave him Snow White and he gave him like pretty much all the females. So I believe he drew, he was in charge of drawing the queen as well. Um, and along with uh, Art Babu. Art Babu was all over this movie, by the way. Like he was one of like the, the main guy he's like in charge of like the animation here and um i just think it's just funny you know the way that he kind of you know said oh grim that way you made betty boop so now you're gonna draw all the females in this movie which there's only like two but still it's just you know it's just again it's another like interesting little tidbit it's also interesting because betty boop like well, she's clearly a female character, is not at all realistic. You know, she's exactly. very cartoony. So that, it's that's interesting the that. Of it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, I do have um, some some other notes to to go through when we get, when we get to the plot. But there's anything we go uh, you want to bring up before we go through the plot? Um, I mean, if just real quick as far as just the animation, they did also use a new the multi uh, multi plane camera. Oh, the multi yes, like, yes. Now they they tested this with a silly symphony. I can't remember what it was called. Um, I think it was something, I think it was like the Magic Force or something, but it came out, I believe, in 1935 or 36. And essentially, that was the test run for this new multiplane camera to see if maybe Walt could take, you know, this new technology and adapt it to Snow White, which is, was his goal from the beginning. But he wanted to give it a test run to see if it could actually even work. Like, if it couldn't work for a Silly Symphony, then, you know, maybe he had to go in a different route. So he tested it on this Silly Symphony. Uh, I think it's called the Magic Force or something like that, but it's basically, it's essentially him showing off this new technology, and you know, it it, it came out well, so he decided to adapt that and kind of make that one of the main, uh, I guess, uh, I don't want to say animation style, so basically just he added that as some as something uh, else that he could do with with Snow White, and uh, I mean it works. I mean the scene with the when the queen transforms into the witch, that's uh, making use of the multiplane camera as well. Yeah, and you know it's a really cool uh, filmmaking technique for animation, animation technique. Um, I mean, obviously today you have computers and you can you can have computers do everything for you, but back in the day they had to they had to kind of innovate, and um, it's basically the way it works is like several layers of glass. And each layer has something drawn on it as far as the background or the foreground. And then you put the camera kind of on top shooting down. And uh, and then that's how you got that's how you got that uh, image of of three dimensionality. Now, if you're not understanding any of that, there's that's that's fine. You can go to YouTube and just type in Disney multiplane camera. And there is a video that shows you exactly how they did it from, and it's like, Walt. it's like, I don't know if it's like from a, like a Disney, like wonderful world of Disney kind of thing from back in the fifties, but it's like Walt Disney explaining the invention itself. Uh, and it's like a really cool, it's a very cool little video. It's like seven minutes long. Uh, you should definitely check it out. Uh, if I remember, I'll try to put a link in the, in the notes of the show. Oh, and then it just hit me. The name of the cartoon was the old mill. I actually got to look that up. Oh, the now. old mill. That's a great cartoon. It's the old mill. It was that was the testing run for this multiplane camera. And uh, again, there's really no plot to it. Basically, just about an old mill and like a storm hitting it. But uh, that was him basically showing off this technology. I remember being really scared by the old mill when I was a kid. Yeah, it was a really I mean, cool. I, that's a really great cartoon. Yeah. All right, so let's get kind of started into like the uh, the the meat of this movie. Um, the the Film starts off with, and it develops the trope of uh, a little live action shot of a storybook opening, oh, uh, and cool. the storybook is very. Uh, it says Snow White on the t- on the front, and it's very. It's like bedazzled in gold and diamonds and stuff, and uh, then you oh, the book slowly opens, and you get uh, the Once Upon a Time, blah 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 blah, um, and you know that is a trope that has kind of carried on through the ages. You know, people still know what that what that is, and it's like you're about to get a fairy tale. You've seen it parodied uh in shrek uh you've seen it um uh, redone in like other disney movies like cinderella and i believe sleeping beauty i think they did it in enchanted as well um but yeah it, it's it's a it's a trope that uh that like is still kicking and you know they did it uh 
that's what this is where it all started. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, it basically kind of tells you the backstory about the the evil queen and the you know how she's you know not very nice and is very uh, conceited and is always asking. Uh, the Magic Mirror, and we start and we see kind of start off with her asking the Magic Mirror who the fairest one of all is. And by the way, is one of those famous misquoted movie lines it's not mirror, mirror on the wall, it's magic mirror on the wall. There you go, just like uh, Luke, I am your father, <laughs> and a bunch of other quotes that have been misquoted. And play it again, Sam. Yep. And uh, hello, Clarice. Yep, all these things are all uh, misquoted lines. And this is another one. It's magic mirror on the wall. And I didn't know that until actually probably only recently that it was a magic mirror on the wall. Yeah. I thought I always thought it was mirror, mirror. Uh, but yeah, you kind of go right into the story. Uh, the mirror tells her that uh, Snow White is actually uh, the fairest in the land. Um, I'm not sure if, I don't remember in reading the little storybook at the beginning, whether they say that she's her stepmother or not. But she is her stepmother, and stepmothers get a bad rap in Disney movies, man. Yep. <laughs> but it is the the stepmother because she uh she was the queen and she married her father the king and she's still and you know she's a princess but uh the queen is in charge. Um and then we cut to uh, anyway she, the mayor says it's Snow White, and then we cut to Snow White uh, doing some chores outside cleaning some cleaning the stairs. I don't know why. Like, why clean the stairs? It seems like an odd chore to do. Um, and she's singing to uh, to the birds. Um, and uh, it's, uh, what is the someday, is it Someday My Prince Will Come? Is this where she's singing that? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is just some really nice, really pretty animation in the sequence. Yeah, this is this whole opening sequence, you know, with, with the music and her singing and just the way it's animated, like, I thought it looked good before, but on the Blu-ray, it looked absolutely stunning. The way they were able to restore not just that scene, but the entire movie. It's just, it looks beautiful. And I can't say enough good things about it. Like, it, everything just looks so crisp and, you know, colorful, but not, like, overly colorful. It's like, it's just the right, you know, shade of coloring that they used. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's not enough to, like, it, it's weird because you think that, you know, with brighter colors, it might be able to pop more and kind of grab your attention. But the way the, the subtlety that they used here is just as eye popping as if they had, like, you know, used something brighter. You know, it's just, I guess, the, the, this, the kind of faint color palette they use is, is still enough, I guess, combined with, like, the, the animation itself and, you know, the music. It's just, it's enough of an eye popping opening, I think. Yeah, and, and what's great about it also is there's that one shot, which is so beautiful, of her looking down into the well. And then this, the shot is just like the well, as if you are looking into the well, and then the reflection of her coming back up. So, and, and you get that because it's like her reflection, but the reflection is wavy, like it's in water, and you're seeing right. like little ripples in the water. And again, you do that now, that's a program on a computer. Like back then, they had to do that like manually and i think that's just so impressive and i and i can't stress that enough and that's, that's another point that i i've made before on this movie and i want to stress it again this is something that took what like two three years just on the animation side to do yep. because it was literally guys drawing all of these scenes putting them to color and animating this was people I want to stress this again, people having to do this for two years 
just to make an a 83, 84 minute film. You know, this is something now that on a computer can be done in what took two years could probably be done in an hour. You know, that's just how far technology has come. But at, that's yeah, that may be where we are now, but you just have to appreciate the time and the dedication that it took back then to make something like this. It's just, it, just, it wasn't easy. Exactly. Um, so then we get, as she's singing, uh, we get the, the prince creeping up on her <laughs> um, and just decides, hey, I want to just jump over this wall and just talk to this chick as if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 2019 woke me. It finds some problems with that. <laughs> yeah, but so they're singing and uh, he scares her off and she like runs over to like this, you know, inside into the balcony and they sing to each other and, you know, they're basically, you know, fall in love in that moment. Uh, and then you don't see the prince again for like the rest of the movie until the very end, which what apparently, a typical, you know, plot convenience. Yeah, which apparently wasn't the case in the original draft. In the original draft, apparently they did have him a bigger part of the story, where like the queen captures him at one point, and he's in yeah. her dungeon, and he has to escape, and um, and then he that got a little cartoony though, I think. Yeah, it apparently got yeah. too cartoony, and then like. He had to get back. He tried to get back in time to save Snow White, but then he couldn't do it. So, like, I, I think that stuff, you know, was cut for time or cut for money. I'm not sure. But it basically is you don't see the prince again until, like, the last five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the, the queen sees their little courtship, does not like it at all. And then the next scene, we see her uh, talking to the huntsman. Um, who's she, And she basically says, hey, go take her out to the woods, kill her, cut her heart out, bring the heart back to me. Uh, kind of dark for a Disney movie. I don't know if there's anything, that's a pretty dark thing to say inside of a children's fairy tale in general. You'd think that they wouldn't have included this specific moment. Like, since they cut out some of the other dark stuff, you would think that they would have cut this part out, but they didn't. They left this in. Now, if the Huntsman didn't want to do this so badly, why didn't he just send his brother Loki to do it? I mean, Loki's kind of a, you know... He's a mischievous one. I'm sure he would have done it. Wow. You bring up a Snow White and the Huntsman reference on this show. <laughs> but no, okay. But going back to this Snow White, though, um, the, the, the part that I love about this scene is not the fact that, you know, he's so bewildered that he that she wants the heart in a heart shape, in a box with a heart on it, like with a dagger. Like, how more plain could she be with what she wants, right? And why does she have that box ready already? Like, why does she just have a box with a heart in it that, you know, <laughs> with, with a specifically dagger, yeah. a heart? That's, right. that, that's one of the many questions I had about that back in the day, too. And then, But the thing that I love about it is just when the huntsman says, but my queen, the little princess. The way he says the little princess. I don't know. I just it, it pops me. It just cracks me up with the way he says it. I don't know. I just find it funny. Um, so then we see that he has indeed taken her um, out to the forest. And in this scene, she's not in her like rags that we saw in the beginning of the film. She's in the traditional Snow White costume that we all know. Um, and uh, she's, you know, playing with the uh, picking flowers. She's talking to some animals like a little bird that's lost or something. And then you see the, um, again, another great piece of animation. You see the huntsman um, whip out his knife. And as he whips it out, there you see like this reflection coming off the knife. It's a great little touch that they add. Yeah. This reflection of like, oh, look, it's it's a knife. It's shiny and dangerous. And uh, and then as he kind of stalks toward her, you see him like get into shadow 
right? And like, uh, and then you just kind of, and it kind of close, like has a close up on him, and his eyes are glowing as he's in shadow, and he lifts up his knife to like to strike her, and it's like a very tense scene for a kids movie, and uh, I, it, it, again, another Willy Well I made a sequence. Yeah, really. I mean, you see, you see the shadow. You know, she kind of. But the, the, here's the dumb part, though. Like, you know, she sees the shadow of what he's about to do, and instead of like running from it, she just starts screaming. Of course, like all apparently female protagonists tend to do when that happens. It's just like any movie, unfortunately. She just kind of stands there and screams until the the huntsman just has this change of heart and is like, you know, they want to kill you, so just run away. Like, you know, like, go, go. And uh, she runs into the forest at that point. Yeah, and then this is one of the, my, my favorite uh, sequences in the film, actually, this, this whole sequence, is as, as she's running away uh, from the husband, because he tells her to go, um, she kind of runs in fear, and as she's in this scary forest, like, her, like she's kind of running into things, running into branches and falling down holes and falling into, like, a, like a pond or, or something, and, and everything she sees, like, her imagination is, like, uh, taking over her taking over and like she sees all these things that weren't really there like uh and she just freaks out but like the animation on these scenes things to like look both like the normal things they're supposed to be but also kind of look like what she's imagining to be is really cool yeah this again like you said this is also one of my favorite sequences just because of you know all the cool stuff they kind of do with the uh, i think they use the multiplane camera for this as well they kind of yeah i think so kinda, they're, they're kind of zigzagging between like you know the trees now that have like these you know, monster faces on them, and then Snow White, then back to the tree, and back to the branches, and back to Snow White, and it's like it kind of zigzags. Like, it's one of those like rapid fire scenes that's like it's it's meant to confuse, which that's that's the whole idea of the scene. It's meant to con- and she's getting confused by all this, and you're meant to be confused, which I I love that that whole touch that they're doing, and and it just works. Like, and it it is one of the the scarier scenes until we get to like the, the big climactic. It's funny. You know, seen in the movie, but this is the scene that actually scares my daughter. Like she doesn't, she's fine with the rest of the movie, but this is the scene that gets her. Like she thinks yeah, it's, I mean, that part's really scary. I mean, that makes sense. I, I would say, like I can imagine. Um, but yeah, it's a really well animated sequence, and it's also what I really enjoy about it is that it's the sound is really good here because like you like you, you, you they combine all the scary sounds like the natural sounds of a forest plus all the sounds of what she thinks she's seeing and hearing uh, yeah. as well like the, the the cool one is like whenever she falls into like the lake or pond or whatever it is and it's like these logs that are just kind of bobbing up and down but she thinks they're like alligators but like you hear alligators. like what sounds like an alligator snapping at her but then you look and it, it is just a log um, it, that's yeah. a it's just a, so really well done. I'm really just kind of impressed with with this animation. Yeah, just really great stuff, I think. Um, so she she's kind of um, you know, she she finally kind of gets out and has kind of a little bit of a breakdown until all the little cute animals of the forest mm-hmm. all come out to greet her. And uh, before going any further, I sure. have to say, I have to say, the MVP of this movie, when it comes to our to our uh, to our animal friends, has to be the turtle, because the turtle gets a, a tough break throughout this whole movie. So yeah, he's my true. MVP. That's true. Poor turtle, always never never getting there on time. 
Well, at least, like I said, I'd rather the turtle go through what he's going through here than what the turtle goes through in Cannibal Holocaust. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) You had to bring that up. (laughs) Hey, I brought it up on the other show, so might as well. Poor turtle. Um, So the the little animals come all come out, and there are they are most the most almost sickeningly cute. And, like animal drawings that you've ever seen, <laughs> um, like with the huge like Disney eyes, you know, and uh, you know they all come out and they cheer her up and they kind of lead her to a cabin in the woods. And if this was a horror movie, that cabin would have different uh, connotations, uh, but they lead her to a cabin in the woods, uh, which seems very cozy for her. It's a doesn't look like there's anybody in there, so she kind of starts making herself at home. Um. So she she sees that the looks like people might live there, but the, she thinks it might be seven little kids, um, and uh, she decides that the place is kind of disgusting. And uh, well, she she, she's not wrong. She's not wrong, and she decides to you know break into this home and just touch a bunch of stuff that isn't hers and clean up the house. Which is such a womany thing to do in 1937, I think. That's you know, and I and I'm not trying to, to say anything by that. It's just that's just how I guess they saw women back then. Like all they could, all they were good for was cooking and cleaning, you know. And but I do want to point out one other thing that kind of in 2019 bothers me. It's the fact that when she collapses in the forest and like the the little cute animals are you know crowding around her, they're like kind of scared because she's you know. She was like screaming at them, you know, just a second before. And then she gets up and, you know, she says something to the effect of, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I should have been screaming. Like, I'm ashamed. Like, I was just scared. You watch that now. It's like, well, yeah, you should be scared. Some guy was just trying to kill you, you know. So, you know, I, I, we can understand why you were scared. But to be like, oh, I'm so ashamed that I was scared. Like, it, it, it sounds kind of silly now that she has to explain herself for being scared, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. I mean, let's 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 face facts. Snow White, not a uh, feminist icon. Let's you know, let's, not, let's let's kind of put it that way. Um, so she decides that with the help of her animal friends that she can somehow control. Um, she has uh, the powers to control the these animals and tell them what to do. the dishes, you tidy up the room, you clean the fireplace, and I will use the broom. Uh, start cleaning up the house. And there's one thing that no matter, every time I see this movie just grosses me out. And it's like whenever the animals are cleaning the dishes, they clean it by the freaking deer licking it. And then the, and then the squirrel's like wiping it dry with its tail. It's disgusting. <laughs> It's disgusting. <laughs> now I know they throw the dishes in the sink after that, but it's still gross. It's disgusting. So, you know, I would not eat off of that plate. Uh, no, no, no. Put them in the tub. You know. But no, no, no. Our mutual friend, Mister Eddie, who was on the other show with me when we did this with film. Um, that's not even the part that grosses them the most, because as you know from his Facebook post, he likes to cook, right? So when we get later on to the point where she's making the pies and like the birds are putting their feet on the edges to make like the little oh yeah that's so gross 
He's like, that is so disgusting. That's the part that grosses him out the most. Well, I mean, and he's not like, wrong. It's like Ratatouille. Like, Ratatouille is such an excellent movie, and I appreciate the message of the movie, but still, it's rats cooking food. That's nasty. <laughs> I don't care if you run them through the dishwasher beforehand. It's disgusting that the rats are cooking food. There's no way that that critic at the end of the movie is cool with that. He should not be cool with that. And the oh, I mean, the restaurant they get shut down, so they were kind of yeah. But then they open another one where the rats are still cooking. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> Look, it's a beautiful movie. I love Ratatouille, but that's really gross. I mean, you're not wrong. I it's, it's a super <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, the uh, you know, it's it's a fun little animated sequence where the. Where the uh, the animals all clean and, and clean the house and the clothes and, and everything else and after all that's a woman's place is the uh, the kitchen and the home right <laughs> and then uh, we cut to uh, the dwarves uh, sorry the dwarfs working in the mine uh, and uh, singing their probably this probably the most famous song of the movie hi ho um, and. Uh, we don't really get an introduction to each of them individually, really. We kind of just see them as a group as they're as they're uh, uh, kind of mining here. You get you get to see some of their like kind of characteristics, but not like you don't, you don't really get them by name or anything. Um, and it's again another nice little animated sequence. The 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 jewels or the the diamonds or whatever they're they're mining for, like they look really sparkly and they 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 you can tell that they're like precious stones and stuff. Here's my question. Why are they leaving the key to the mine that has all the jewels in it just hanging next to the door like that? Like, That's what's true. stopping me from going in there and just taking all their stuff? What I want to know is, what do they do with these stones? Because they don't seem to, like, sell them or anything. They're just, like... Exactly. They, they just take them just and then them, go home. Yeah. yeah. Um, Excellent point. And also, what I never got is they they sing "Hi Ho, Hi Ho." It's off to work we go, but they're leaving work. Oh no! no, no. Oh, 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 hold on, hold on, one second there. When they leave work, it's home from work we go, and then when they go, it's it's off to work we go. Oh, okay, so when they're makes- leaving, they say it's home from work we go. Hi Ho, Hi Ho. Okay, that makes more sense because I always thought they sang it the same way both times, and I was like, "But no, you're not no, no. going." It's different each time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, I don't know what are they doing with those gems. What are they? They put them in the vault, but what? And then what? What do you do with them? I don't know, man. Maybe they're saving up for a retirement fund. I guess I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they want to open a Roth IRA. What I mean, like, what do I know? <laughs> Um, so we cut back to, uh, Snow White, who after, uh, a long day's work, decides to kind of, uh, Goldilocks it and just crash in their beds. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, it's kind of amusing how you just kind of, just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm just going to sleep in this bed. It's my, I, I'm just going to make myself at home. 
Pretty much, yeah. Um, and the dwarves arrive, and they think that uh, they notice that something's off, and that someone could be in their house. And uh, they're freaking out. They could be a burglar or a goblin or a demon. And uh, they're they're freaking out, trying to figure out who's in there. So then you get like kind of this extended comedic sequence of them kind of sneaking into their own house to find out who's who's in their house. Yeah, and right before actually they get home, you know, the the animals go up with Snow White to the room, and of course the poor turtle, because he's a turtle, he has to like bite each of the steps and pull his way up. <laughs> by the time he gets to the top of the stairs, all the animals come rushing out of the room because they hear the doors coming, and he falls all the way back down the stairs. Like that poor turtle, man, can't catch a break. That's why I love him so much. But yeah, but then the dwarves show up. You know, they don't know whether it's like a goblin or a ghost or whatever. So they, of course, they send the idiot up because they don't want to go up themselves. So they send Dopey to check it out. And then when he gets in the room and she sees like her moving under the sheets, she looks like a ghost. So he runs out. He knocks all the doors down the stairs as well. They all like run out outside. He's like, and what I love about this sequence is like how he's basically kind of essentially lying to them, but. You know, it's just funny the way, like, was it a goblin? And then he nods, like, was it, did it have horns? And then he makes, like, the horn notion. Like, did it have a tail? And he just nods. Like, he's saying yes to everything. And that, that whole part is, that whole sequence is funny. So, here's a question for you. This is a, this is a test of your character right now. Are you a dopey person? I kind of am. I, I, <laughs> I okay. It, it, this is what's funny about it. I I don't like him leaving the key to the mine next to the door. Like that was very dopey of him, pun intended, right? But I mean, I just I can't hate the guy. He's just so lovable, and like it's one of those things where almost like a Harold Lloyd type of guy, you know? Where I mean, Harold Lloyd wasn't dopey, but it's like kind of he did a lot of like the the pratfalls and kind of a lot of the uh, the little wacky stunts. And he kind of comes off like a Harold Lloyd type of guy to me, you know. So it's just it's just too lovable to like annoy, to get annoyed at, you know. I kind of hate him. I can't you stand hate Dopey. I can't stay. I think I know that he's like the most popular one, right? And I know that like like all the kids love him and everything. But I gotta be honest, he's like the Jar Jar Banks of Snow White. Oh, I'm I'm more of a grumpy guy to be honest. <laughs> yeah, if I had to pick, I'm a grumpy guy. But like I, I can get the appeal of, of Dopey. Yeah, no, he can go to hell. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they're up in the they're up in the room, um, and they're they they see her kind of laying there. They take off the sheet; she's still sleeping, and uh, they are uh, basically drooling over her because she's so pretty, as I think uh, Bashful says. Uh, and then you got Grumpy kind of being the the voice of, uh, I mean, really the voice of reason because we don't know who she is. Like, I mean, we do the audience, but they don't know who she is, and they're they're all basically just like, hey, she's hot, and and he's like, hey, we don't know this broad. She, she and all women are poison. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the, the first intel. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> But she wakes up and uh, she's very confused as to what's going on. She thinks that they're uh, at first she thought they were chi- they're supposed to be children because everything's so small. But then she realized, why you're little men? Yeah, and, you just uh, kind of like a. It just feels like she's cutting them down. It's like, why you're little men? <laughs> so before we go on, because 
I think this at this point, personally speaking, I feel like this is really the first time in the in the film where we kind of see a little bit more personality from Snow White, other than like the whole typical "oh, I'm a princess" kind of archetype thing. But uh, let me ask you something, because one of the points that we brought up before was how we kind of felt that Snow White wasn't really developed much as a character, which it kind of made sense in a way because here's the, here's the question we basically pose each other. Describe the character of Snow White without mentioning like what she is like, you know, but I think she's a princess or like a female or, or whatever. Just kind of just, what's her character? What exactly is her character? Like what, what's her personality, you know? So without describing the plot points, what exactly. her personality um, she is naive. <laughs> I, I said that too. Good, good. You're on the right track. Um, cheerful. Uh, bubbly, but yeah, that's kind of on the same wavelength. Yeah, uh, bubbly, naive. Um, I mean, she knows how to clean. <laughs> <laughs> She knows how to cook. <laughs> so, so I mean, but the idea is, you know, Mister Anifel, she was very underdeveloped as a character, which it, it makes sense. But at the same time, it's like you don't really have to develop her that much. You just need to know she's a princess. She's the focal point, you know, and that's pretty much it as far as like what they're trying to go for. Like, this isn't some deep, you know, uh, memento type of thing, you know, where you kind of have to get to know, like, the character, and there's, like, you know, more three-dimensional depth to it. This is just a, a cartoon, right? It is just a cartoon, yeah. but at the same time, there are other cartoons that do have more developed uh, characters. I mean, I would say, like... Oh, no, definitely. That came along later. I'm just I mean, I would say, like, like remember, in terms of... The pioneer. Yeah, I, I would say in terms of her Disney princess brethren, I would say Cinderella's more developed than she is. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. Ariel is more developed than she is. Jasmine's more developed than she is. Um, yeah, it's just she's, yeah, she's she's pretty one dimensional. Um, but at the same time, the I'm sure the Brothers Grimm story did not add a lot of depth to her either, um, because she comes off really, really, really dumb in that story. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're, you're right about that. But like, but. The, kind of the overall point I was making is that I think personally here is when she really starts to kind of show a little bit more of that personality that she has. Like when, a she's, trying to guess the, when she's trying to guess the names of the dwarves and then finally we get the grumpy and she goes, whoa, you must be grumpy. I, that, that part pops me because that's, that, that's what he knows. Like to me, she, I feel like she's trolling him. Like, you know, she knows that she doesn't like her. So she's just like, oh, you must be grumpy. I just, I, I, I love that, that part. It's, it, it's, it's funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, in, in essence, she is basically just hot and dumb. I mean, that's really that's really it. <laughs> hot and dumb. Um, so the one thing I find interesting uh, is that the gag of like them all like looking over the bed and their little noses like pop out one by one was a gag that like like uh, Walt Disney had like envisioned like really early on and like yeah. pushed for that to be included. So interesting that obviously it made it it made it in but that's like it's funny how like he had that vision and he wanted to make sure that made it yeah i mean that's one of those things where like it's like you said he envisioned it early on in the production and he just basically told the animators make sure you put that in just put it in i don't care how you do it just put it in 
Um, so then uh, Best, after she meets everybody, she basically, you know, uh, they they all are totally cool with her having her there uh, because, you know, they're a bunch of seven dudes who have no women in their life. Um, and uh, she runs down and she's about to make them dinner, but she's like, hey, you got to go wash up. So then we get another kind of extended uh, sequence of them kind of uh, washing up. So like this whole like middle section is just kind of some gags of, of the dwarfs and, uh, and and Snow White. And then, yeah, so we get this whole song about, you know, washing your hands and face. <laughs> Which is probably my favorite song in the whole movie. Really? It's your favorite <laughs> Only one? Because it's probably my favorite one just because of A, how pointless it is, and B, just now the uh, kind of other connotation you can <laughs> you can take for that song. <laughs> you know, step up. I forgot what, how it was, but like, step up the tub. Like, I forgot what the what the rest of the lyrics are, but all I remember is the which, in twenty nineteen terms, I just think making that sound has another connotation to me. But which I'll let everybody else figure that out. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's it kind of feels like a filler song, you know. Like let's add some time to this this portion here. But as we said earlier, like he did want the Disney did want the the movie to have like several gags several like sight gags and it was clearly one of them um you get this whole thing with dopey like eating the soap and then yeah, throwing which, yeah uh, grumpy it's, into again, the, it's pretty funny the, yeah and then throwing grumpy into the 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 wash basin or whatever the heck it is um yeah it, it's kind of a pointless scene i gotta be honest but but now here's my other question too like Here's here's my question though. Like, remember, right before that song starts, like they actually go up to the 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 trough or the ravine or whatever the whatever that thing is called, right? And then they're looking at the water, and then they put like their finger in, and then they go like, "Oh, water's wet. Oh, water's cold." Like they've never seen water before. Like, have they? When do these guys actually shower or take a bath? Like, is it like a once a year thing, or have they never seen water before? Because to actually react like that to water, I just thought it was kind of weird. Considering that, like, don't these guys bathe at all? Like, what's uh, like, I don't get it. I think that they don't bathe, I think that they're just nasty, disgusting incels sitting in their mother's basement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be... <laughs> all right, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Um, so then we uh, we cut to um, Snow White, or sorry, the Queen. Uh, back in her castle, uh, asking Magic Mirror who who the fairest one is, and uh, and he once again says it's Snow White, and he she's like no it's not possible I've got her heart right here, and then she's like no that's not her heart that's the the heart of a pig, a pig, uh, and uh, <laughs> she's not happy. I mean, would you be having got a pig's heart instead of a human heart when you ask for a human heart? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this is kind of the end of where we start see the end of the beginning for like the quote unquote beautiful queen as she's heads down to the uh, heads down to the cellar uh, of the dungeon or whatever you want to call it to perform some magic, which is interesting. They don't they don't um, establish that she's a magician, like you know, or a, or a witch or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like they 
this is kind of just comes out of nowhere in this movie. Um, but I mean, it's fine, but it, it's just interesting that like all of a sudden she's like, well, I'm a witch now and I'm going to show you, I'm going to have some create a witch's potion to make me look like an old hag. Yeah. And then the whole sequence kind of straight out of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde here. You know, when she turns into the, uh, the old lady, um, and he, this is where they, they again use the, uh, the multiplane camera, which, you know, it really came in handy here. Like it came out really cool with the effects they used. Yeah, and I mean not just in the transformation, but just like in general, like you see it, you see like she's like as she's creating her mixtures. You see all these like test tubes and books and stuff like top in front of her, and, and, and like in in the foreground and the stuff in the background. And like looks really, it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, so she creates a potion to turn her into a uh, an old hag, and the yeah, and this is again one of the coolest moments in the in the. Uh, in the in the in the movie, as far as animation goes, is when she turns into the old hag and she drinks the potion. Yeah, and then she comes up with the whole you know like white trap to set for Snow White, and then she comes up with the the poison apple, which you know has the antidote of love's first kiss. Which at this at the at the time I'm like, if you really want to kill Snow White, why give her something that has an antidote to it? Like why can't you figure out something that has no antidote and just kill her that way? Like, just make it easier yourself. But whatever. Yeah, I'm overthinking it. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite part of this, uh, of this transformation is whenever you see her hands go from, like, these, like, like normal hands into, like, these crooked old hands. It's, it's, I think that's the coolest part. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, and then now she she's way more cartoony. Like, the old hag is way more cartoony looking um, uh, as a character. Um, and it's interesting that, like, we're pretty much close to the end because this movie really goes quickly. Like, it yeah. does not it does not skip a mess around. Other than the washing sequence, it pretty much, like, just... Uh, it pretty much just kind of get, hits the highlights of the story and just keeps moving. Um, other than like this one sequence after this, where we see them having a party with Snow White, like where they're all singing say, and dancing, yeah, kind of a time waster. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of a. It, it feels like they are padding it out a little bit, um, but but it's you know it also kind of does establish the fact that they they all like her and and they want to um, they want her around, you know. Um, but I really I really dig the sequence where she like stands up and like dances with them because again. It's a really stark contrast of of like her realistic, you know, normal like proportions, and then like these really super cartoony characters like dancing around her. It just looks really good. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, you have. Um, I mean, it, it it's a it's a nice sequence. You know, the music is funny. It, it's it's supposed to be like to be like a little goofy kind of. I guess. I guess I could call it like a, a resting scene because you know this is like kind of like the last scene of like you know just goofiness and happiness before you get to like the grim stuff. So, um, but it, but it works, you know, and it's beautiful to look at. The animation's great, so you know I really have no problem with it. You know, it's just it's obvious like time padding, like you said. Right, and um, then they ask her to tell a story, but she she instead sings a song. And actually, I was incorrect before. This is where she sings "Someday When My Prince Will Come." In the okay. beginning, she's singing something else, like "I'm Wishing." Something. There you go. That's the yeah. one. Um, I forget what it's like. I'm wishing, I'm wishing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but this is this is where she thinks some someday my prince will come. Right. 
Um, so they they all get together and say that they that she can have the beds upstairs, uh, and they're all gonna like find a, a spot to spot to sleep downstairs. So you get this. And they fight over the pillow, bro. They fight over the pillow, and you get this gag of where they're all gonna sleep. But the thing is, she only takes up three beds. There's still four beds up there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> unless it's, they're trying to say like, hey, we're we we're men here. We can't like sleep in the same room as women. Right, I'm just saying. There's four beds up there. Like yeah. they don't have to sleep on like someone's like sleeping in a pot or something, and and like someone's sleeping like on the windowsill. Like just go. There's a bed up there. Right. All right. Um, the next day, uh, you see. Uh, I think. Yeah. You, I'm. I'm just going looking through the movie. There's a uh, someone sleeping in a freaking like drawer. Someone's in a cupboard. Come on, guys. Get a bed. <laughs> isn't, um, isn't Dopey resting on like somebody's? ass yeah <laughs> I, think, I think it's like docs or somebody i don't remember but yeah um so then we get uh another sequence of the witch where she poisons the apple uh another really cool sequence where you, you where she dips the apple into like this goo and then like it comes out all black and like and before it like all the goo comes off like you see like the image of a skull on it um and then it, yeah, it all that's off cool. and then it turns into cool. like a red apple yeah, very cool sequence. Um, uh, I really appreciate that one. And what I think is kind of amusing is that uh, in uh, Wreck It Ralph two, in the sequence of the princesses and the where they all kind of get into like pajamas, yeah. Snow White's pajamas is like a picture of that apple that says poison. Oh, I did not catch that. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I yeah. I've seen it many times because my daughter keeps watching that. There movie. you go. No, I've only so seen, I've seen it, I think twice. So. And she also has a doll with the with Snow White in those clothes too. So oh, cool. <laughs> nice. So I know, but I think it's a it's a neat touch that they did that. Um. So yeah, she's after she does the poison apple. She that yeah, you're right. This is where she goes and looks up. Wait, but is there an antidote? Uh. And then she's like, oh, uh, it can be reversed with true love's kiss. And then she laughs because she figures no one's gonna kiss her. I guess. Yeah, which is a dumb you know, thought to have because of course people would, but whatever. And then I like how like she as she's about to leave, she trolls the skeleton. She's like, thirsty? <laughs> yeah, that, that that was a nice touch there. <laughs> All right. Um next sequence we get is uh uh the 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 dwarves are all going off to work. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is where they sing "Hi ho, hi ho!" Off to work we go. That's right. Um, and uh, they, uh, she's kind of giving them all kisses on the top of their bald heads before they're off. Dopey is kind of a, a horny pervert, so he he wants to get more than one. But first, he wants to get one on the lips. And uh, she completely he strikes out she, completely there. But she friend zones him. So yeah, uh, so he gets it on the head. And then he runs back inside to get another one. And uh, which she does get, and yeah, so he's a horny pervert. Um, and then finally, uh, after much, um, much uh, fussing, uh, Grumpy has decided to uh, accept Snow White and appreciates her uh, uh, whenever she kisses him. And then he walks into yeah, the dream. Uh, yeah, he kind of like resisted, like she, I, she ended up giving him one on the cheek. And then, you know, he kind of played it off like, you know, it's disgusting, like he didn't want one. And then as he's walking away, he kind of just smiles and then he hits a tree <laughs> which, which I, I love that guy he's like he's just walking away just he either hits a wall or hits a tree and 
and then he kind of plays that off too, like nothing happened. Which but the is best, a very grumpy thing to do. The best part is that before he goes out, he's like checking himself in the mirror, you know, and like making sure he looks okay. And then he walks out and he takes off his hat, like, and then he's like, "No, you better not kiss me." But like, he totally just got ready for it. And then, and then she kisses him, and then like he looks back all stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. So uh, we see the witch. Um, they sing the song. We see the witch coming up to the cottage, and uh, she um, she basically uh, says, "Hey, are the little men not here?" Um, and then she decides to give her the the apple. Well, she fakes like a heart attack or something, right? right. And then she gets her to trick her to go into the into the cottage, um, and uh, where she they give her the apple, where she gives her the apple, and then all the little cute animals see what's happening, and they decide to run off to the the dwarves to tell them all about what's going on uh and i think they're cutting back and forth in the sec in the sequence right because they're the, the animals are trying to get the dwarves to come and the and the witch is trying to get her to eat the apple right yeah and i think i mean the animals know what's up just like the old simpsons gag you know with the hurricane and the dog like runs off <laughs> and homer goes somehow animals are always the first to know just like in this instance the animals know what's up so they run off off and uh, try to get the doors. And of course, the poor turtle falls behind. Of course. <laughs> so, yep. Um, and then um, we cut back to the the cottage and the cabin, and she's basically tricking her into taking eating the apple because it'll make her wish come true. And of course, she wishes for a, for uh, the prince to come. Uh, and I gotta I gotta cut you off again. How stupid can you get to believe that it's I a know, wishing she's out, so dumb bro she's come on so stupid she's the she's such she's so dumb like she I, I don't think like if you compare her to the other disney princesses they get this dumb yeah you might say their goals of like catching a man are about the same like cinderella sleeping beauty but like they're not dumb at least right like cinderella's not dumb you know she she knows what's up but snow white is dumb yeah, this is just this is so stupid that <laughs> she just falls for that instantly. It's, it's, it's but, so weird. But I, I think what they, they they made an interesting choice here. Whenever they sh- they show her, they don't show her eating the apple on screen. They show her eating it off screen, and you just hear oh, right. and then you hear a thud, and then her hand just smack down, and the and the apple roll out of her hand. It's very artistic. But I'm interested. It's interesting that they just never showed her. They just never showed her uh, take the bite. Yeah, I know. And it's, it, it, I guess it's a artistic choice that they made, like you said, but it's, but it's a fact. You know, I think it's more about, you know, letting the audience kind of see it in their heads rather than showing it to them. But it is, it is a cool sequence. I mean, it is a cool shot to see the hand just kind of plop down and the, the apple roll off. It's kind of, it's kind of dark. It's a dark shot. Yeah. Um, the, the dwarves get back just in time to see the witch running out. Of course, it starts to rain and thunder right at this very minute. Um, and the dwarves are basically, and the dwarves are basically chasing her up the mountain um, to try and uh, to try and uh, you know catch her right. Um, and uh, yeah, what bothers me here is that I guess it doesn't bother me so much, but like she does have her own. She does get like a, a her comeuppance, but like it's basically just because of her own doing, right? She's not like she screws herself, right? She like she tries to like roll a boulder onto the onto the dwarfs uh and then like lightning strikes and she falls off the cliff, right? 
Like, yeah. but yeah, I feel like the dwarves should have had a little bit more of an effort in the getting rid of her. I mean, I, I can see your point there. I just, you know, at that point, you kind of just want to see the queen get what's coming to her. And, you know, I guess, you know, the lightning took care of that for us, you know. And what's funny is that when you first see, you know, the old hag kind of come out of like wherever she was coming from and you see the vultures there, it's already kind of foreshadowing. And I, this recent viewing that I had, I didn't, I didn't think of this before. Like the vultures are already there. Or foreshadowing was going to happen. So at that point, I'm thinking, what's more of a, of a more obvious foreshadowing? This vulture right now, seeing it like way before anything happens or seeing the rat in the departed, bro? What's more huh. on the nose? Well, the rat, well, didn't the rat happen after he got killed and then departed? Well, yeah, that's true. Like, but at that point, you don't really need to see it. Like, you already know right. it. No, it's it's yeah. a pretty, it's pretty. It, it's it's that rat did not need to be there. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was a pretty like okay, okay, Marty. Like the movie was good up, and then you, you this, this one that one thing you're like, eh, you didn't need that. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like about this though was that you kind of see the vultures following the old, but it's like maybe well. You're thinking, oh, well, maybe they're going to follow her so that when Snow White finally dies, they can eat her, right? But no, they follow her all the way till, till when she falls off the cliff, and then that's their dinner. So that's kind of cool. Um, so she's dead, um, and we go back to the uh, um, their cottage, and they, we, see, um, uh, we see her kind of laying... Uh, in you know, with candles all around her, and they're kind of having like a little, they're mourning for her at this point. And then we get a little title card that says that you know the the dwarves, you know she was so beautiful the dwarves did not want to bury her, so they Which put her is in weird a, already in of itself. But. Yeah, so they put her in a glass coffin, um, and uh, far and wide this, the prince has been searching for this for for this maiden, and then he hears of this beautiful princess in a glass coffin he goes to find her out so here here's here's where some logic kind of falls um in the original story right did they not have a, such a thing as rotting corpses like did they like th why did they think in th that putting a princess in a glass coffin wouldn't like would be a good idea she'd still decompose you know exactly and secondly, why does the prince say, hey, there's some dead lady in a glass coffin. I'm going to go check that out and give her a kiss <laughs> and see if maybe she's the one that I've been looking for. That hey, makes no sense. Thing. Here's my thing to the fact that she did decompose. Uh, should say that she's not even dead, you know? Yeah. So then there has to have been some way to get her back. So and here's another question that I, that I pose. And I want to, how much time do you think passes between when and she eats the apple and when the prince comes because supposedly you know the i think the story takes place like within like three days i think according to disney that's the official like time oh, of the I, story I, it takes i think three or four days but i mean when they're showing the title cards of like say oh well, they didn't want to bear her, so they put her in a coffin you see like the season scene like you see snow you then you see like the fall that, yeah. you see this so it has to have been like at least like six months or something right but then think about the logic of that they kept this woman in a glass coffin for six this dead woman for six months in a coffin that they didn't want to bury like that's already like and then she didn't decompose in all that time like again isn't that like not weird so it's is it three so days weird or is it six like you months? think that 
I'd think it's six months because, like you said, the title cards indicate the, the passage of time. Yeah. So I would say that like it's it's like several months. Um, but again, why is this prince, upon hearing that there's a corpse in the woods in a glass coffin, does he think he feel the need to go there and kiss her? That's yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, he comes up, uh, he takes the glass thing off, gives her a kiss. She wakes up. Uh, everyone's happy. The animals are dancing. They they kiss. But here's the thing. It's true love's kiss. They met each other one time for like five minutes. And this is her true love? Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this is way too romanticized. Uh, but anyway, um, the, the, um, she wakes up. Everyone's happy. She says goodbye to the dwarves because I'm all on the head. And the prince uh, leads her off into the sunset uh, for a happily ever after. Now... There is a controversial theory about the end of this movie. Do you know what it is? That she's dead or something yes, like that. And that, that like the castle is supposed to be like heaven. And then the castle is in heaven. Have yeah. you heard like this is like the dumb this is now I get it because if you watch it, the castle looks like it's in the clouds. Right? Yeah. But this is a stupid theory. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Four years ago or five years ago when I did the, the other show, I'm not buying it now. It's just, it's it's a little, you're thinking a little too much out of the box. It's just a straightforward happily ever after. Yeah, it's like those people that always feel like they need to, like, deconstruct, like, Disney movies and, like, talk about every, like, simple thing. I mean, we just did it. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, uh, who, who, who try to, like, think about all these different, like, alternative theories and, like, no, guys, it's just the artistic choice. That the the, yeah. the 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 castle's out in the clouds. It doesn't literally mean it's in the clouds and it's heaven. Come on. Yeah, I agree. It's I, I don't buy it. Um. So, a uh, couple of things about this. Um, in 2016, apparently Disney announced that they were going to do a uh, spinoff called Rose Red, um, which is about Snow White's sister and uh, is supposed to, like, take place, um, like, after the uh, Snow White takes the bite of the apple. And that's all I know. And if you look it up on IMDb, it's still there, but there hasn't been any, like, production development on it. But it's still, like, planned, but, like, nothing's happening with it. That's interesting, which means... It, it... But see, now that you say that, it kind of puts the kibosh on, on them saying, oh, well, this story takes place within a couple of days. Well, obviously, you can't if you're going to tell a whole story about her sister that's happening while she's dead, you know? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick by the whole six months. And then there is the um, uh, live-action adaptation that they uh, have also said that... Uh, that they are going to to create, and um, as of those cash grab, yeah. cash as of September, yeah. uh, Mr. Mark Webb has signed on to direct. Really, yep. Mark Webb, according to what I read, yeah. Okay, because and here's they see. I always have a soft spot for Mark Webb because he directed Finder Days of Summer, but then at the same time he did Amazing Spider-Man one and two, which yeah. I did not like that much. So. Yeah. So yeah, so now it, it's so I can't hate him because he did one of my favorite movies. So 
Yeah, so but this anyway, will be interesting. He he has been added to the to the to the project, and they are supposed to start shooting in March. Interesting. No casting news yet, right? Um. So before we go on to the the legacy of the film, any other kind of notes about about the film the, the film and its production? Uh, I think we pretty much covered all the pieces from what I can remember. Um, let me see. We in. Uh, it's funny you brought up the the whole like the alternate theory that she's dead because I was gonna bring that up too. Um, but no, no, I think you we pretty much covered all the bases. All right. So as far as this legacy, um, the film when it premiered uh, did receive a standing ovation uh, at its uh, premiere and in a crowd that included pretty much everyone that was mocking him for making the movie in the first place. That's right. Um, all the kind of magazines at the time um, kind of lauded the film. Um, Disney appeared in the cover of Time magazine and the New York Times uh, printed a headline that said, thank you very much, Mr. Disney. Um, it was the highest grossing uh, sound film until uh, Gone with the Wind came out a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Um, adjusted for inflation, uh, it is one of the top 10 movies of all time, of all time, adjusted mm-hmm. for inflation. That means it made some crazy money back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and it is um, adjusted for inflation, the highest-grossing animated film ever. Um, as far as Oscars goes, it was nominated for a musical score. It did not win, um, but it did. It was awarded an honorary Oscar, probably just for the fact that it was the only film of its kind. Uh, and they made uh, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, the um, it, Disney, Walt Disney was presented with this honorary Oscar uh, by Shirley Temple. And it was a full-size Oscar with seven little tiny Oscars next to it. <laughs> nice. uh, and I've actually seen that uh, that Oscar. Um, there was a, there's a science museum here in Chicago called the Museum of Science and Industry, and they had a Disney um, like a Disney uh, like showcase a couple summers ago. And one of the things in there was that Oscar, and it was really cool to see it. That's I have a picture awesome. of it somewhere. Um, I'll see if I can find it. But um, yeah, it, it's a really cool looking thing. Um, let's see what else here we got. Uh, it was inducted into the Library of Congress, uh, and uh, noted f- uh, filmmakers Sergei Eisenstein and Charlie Chaplin uh, both said that it was an incredible achievement in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and Sergei Eisenstein said that it was his favorite movie. Oh, well, there you uh, go. How the success that? of the movie, um, it's basically kind of uh, allegedly. Uh, pushed MGM into producing um, The Wizard of Oz um, because up until then, like family slash fantasy kind of movies were not really a thing, and um, the success of Snow White um, proved that it that it could work. So they went with The Wizard of Oz, um, and then just like we said earlier, it launched it launched Disney, it launched the whole empire, and within a couple of years, Pinocchio and Fantasia came out. And uh, Dumbo, Bambi, Alice in Wonderland, and Peter Pan all started development almost right away. Yeah. Uh, the AFI has put it in many different lists. Uh, it was the number 49th uh, movie of all time in their 100 movies. Uh, number 34 in their anniversary edition. It was the number one animated movie according to their top 10 animated films. The Queen was listed as the number 10 villain. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Someday My Prince Will Come was listed as the number 19 song of all time, which I think is strange because I don't think that's the song to remember from this movie. 
um, it's Hi Ho. Hi Ho is the song to remember. Hi Ho. Yeah, that's and, yeah. I agree with that. And nineteen out of every movie song, out of a hundred, that's crazy to me. Um, uh, so yeah. I did I did look at um what um what the other songs on the list were, um as far as Disney songs, When You Wish Upon a Star was number seven. That makes sense. Yeah. Super Cadet Fragilistic Xbaldosha was number thirty six. Zippity Doodah from that film that doesn't exist was at number forty seven. <laughs> yeah. um, the title great song, song by the way. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and really, the only those sequences are the only thing worth watching from Song of the South because the rest of that movie sucks. Um, and seriously, like it should be banned just for being bad. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it shouldn't be banned at all. But um, but the, the animated sequences are the best part of that movie. Um, Zippity, I'm oh, sorry, I said that. Uh, this title song, Beauty and the Beast, was number 62, and Hakuna Matata was at 99. I feel like Hakuna Matata should be way up higher than that. Oh, oh no, I mean, they need to reevaluate that ASAP. Yeah, but but seriously, Someday My Prince Will Come at number 19 seems very off to me. That song is not that famous, I don't think. Especially not as famous as Hi Ho, which didn't even make it, the list. Uh, yeah. So, that, that yeah, I agree. It's, it's weird. Um, as we uh, mentioned, um, you know, it is available on Blu-ray. I do have the the newest Blu-ray, the Signature Edition, mm-hmm. um, which is very nice. It has lots of features. The transfer is beautiful. Um, I would recommend that if you are a collector. Although, if you are a collector that upgrades, you might want to wait till they put it out on 4K because, you know, that's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also available to purchase digitally. And uh, if you don't want to purchase it digitally... We are in a few weeks getting Disney Plus, and it has been revealed that it is part of the initial launch. Did you see that tweet storm that Disney Plus uh, tweeted out? By the way, uh, was it like this week? Because I've seen like they've been like posting stuff randomly, like what's going to be on it. So I've been catching that. <clears throat> it was on. And it was off. this. It was this past week. I forget what day it was. It was like maybe Monday or Tuesday, where they literally. Like they started in the morning, and every few minutes they just tweeted out in chronological order every single movie and TV show that's going to be on Disney Plus at launch, starting with Snow White all the way up until like whatever came out this year. Now, not all the Marvel movies are listed because um, the Marvel movies there they are still have contracts on other streaming services. I think Netflix, so they're not available on Disney Plus until those contracts run out. Some of the Marvel movies are in there, like Iron Man's in there, um, like Captain America's in there, um, but not like some of the recent ones, like Civil War, Infinity War. They're not in there yet because those movies are still under contract, I think, to Netflix or to Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. So once those contracts run out, then they'll be over on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, they tweeted like 300 different titles, and then for some reason, they decided to put together a video um, that's three hours long. That is just clips of each of the of the things that are going to be on on uh, on Disney Plus, and I, it was like three hours long of this again in chronological order. So immediately, I just skipped to see if Ducktales and Darkwing Duck were going to be in there. <laughs> oh, somebody must have been bored in the office that day. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so the uh, before we kind of uh, sign off here. Um, one of the things we did say that it did launch the Disney Empire. It did launch uh, not just the movies, but also obviously theme parks. Um, I can't let you go without discussing 
the magical world of Disney World and its affiliated theme parks and you letting me know what your favorite attraction is. Ooh. And it doesn't have Let's to be Magic see. Kingdom. It can be Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, um, Epcot. Well, Epcot's the more, more adulty one. You know, I, when my most recent trip, there, I think I got a, I kick out of Epcot the most. Uh, probably because I tried to do that, you know, drink a beer in every country challenge that everybody, um, which I only made it to three countries. I'm a, I'm a lightweight, so. <laughs> there's a, there, um, there's not that many I think I, I, Yeah, there's. Uh, I think Space Mountain is there, which, I mean, that's Rick Claire's favorite ride, but no, that's no, neither here Mountain. nor there. Space Mountain's at the <laughs> Magic Kingdom. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I always thought it was, yeah, it was more of an Epcot thing, but, um, but needless to say, I got to, uh, I got to uh, uh, my pint of Guinness in London, and I pretty much almost passed out, so I was, I was done there. Um, but, uh, ride. They're not really known for their ride. It's more of an attraction place, to be honest. It's not like a Six Flags or a Universal Studios where they actually have like roller coasters and whatnot. But um, this is a good question. But I would have to say, before they took it out, just because I'm a movie geek, the, the great movie ride at Hollywood Studios was awesome. And, and now I hear it's gone. So it is that gone. makes me very sad. But it, it is was, gone. It's been replaced by some Canadian Mickey thing. Bastards. That was such a that was a fun ride, especially for the for the for the cinephile in me. Like uh, even on the waiting queue, they would show like old TCM clips of like you know Errol Flynn yep. and, and just random like you know just movies like old movie stuff. And yeah, that was a ride. Um, I think that was probably my favorite one. Um, I do like the 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 Seven Dwarfs one at Magic Kingdom. I think it's the the Mine Train. That yeah. was pretty cool. It's a little. It's basically a mini roller coaster, but it's it's fun. It looks like so much fun. I've never ridden it because every time I've gone there, the line is like three hours long, and I'm just like, no, I can't you do it. To, you have to, you have to do that flash pass thing. I know, I know, but like the... last several times I've been with my family and we wanted to do the other like fast pass stuff to like the kid friendly stuff, you know, and they're my kids aren't old enough to ride that thing, so oh, it looks so much fun though. Yeah, um, it is. I mean, it's, it's it's again, it's not a huge roller. It's not like one of those Six Flags roller coasters. Like right. it's just like a kids roller coaster, but it's fun. But it looks like fun though. Um, yeah. My favorite, I mean, has to be Star Tours, right? Um, oh, that, that, yeah, that Star Tours is fun. And you know what it is? It's, it has a lot. Of, it has a replay value because every time you go on, it's a different like ride. Basically, they right. take you on different planets. So yeah, uh, Star Tours is fun. If we're going old school, Space Mountain is the best. Um, but again, long line. you got to do a fast pass on that. Um, and then the ones that are just goofy, but they're not like – they're fun, but they're not like super exciting. The uh, the Haunted Mansion is fun. Um, yeah, and, that's fun. Um, and I do, I do love the Haunted Mansion. I do get a kick out of Pirates. Um, and they've certainly updated it. Like last time I went on Pirates, they had more live-action people like – physically in there instead of just the robots and they had a dude that was like basically captain like they got a, a good like guy to look just like johnny depp playing the doing the captain jack guy jack sparrow he, yeah because uh, he was um he looked just like johnny depp he was really good um but yeah pirates is always fun but yeah I, i'd have to say star tours that's my favorite you can't yeah, go wrong I, with that uh, yeah pirates i didn't go on the, the the most recent trip i went to was 2017 and by the way that's one of those things. In 2017, I basically did um, 
I did Disney in one day, I think. I only went to Hollywood Studios because I was there for uh, I was there for Mania, and mm-hmm. I tried. We tried to hit Universal one day, and then the next day Disney because we were basically we only had two days to do like those parks because then all the wrestling stuff started like on that weekend, right? So um, we we got in, I think on Tuesday we got in Tuesday night to do at the Universal Hotel then we had Universal Wednesday and then we stayed at the same hotel and then Ubered to Disney on Thursday and then Friday morning we checked out of that hotel and went to the downtown Orlando one which is where all the rest wrestling stuff was um, so again I, I have to like stress to people like if you plan on doing Disney you can't do everything in one day like it's no, impossible can't. it's just yeah. too much stuff you have to make a week out of it a whole vacation it, like if you I mean Here's the thing. If you're going to do Disney and you're on a budget, pick the park that you really want to go to the most and spend the whole day there. If you're not on a budget and you are fortunate enough to like have some money with you, then I would say do one park per day of the ones you mm-hmm. want to go to. Yeah. Like so it's last time we went, last time we went, we did Hollywood Studios, Magic Kingdom and Epcot. Um and no and we were there I think 5 days, like the first day was our travel day. The no, we were yeah, our first day was our travel day. Second day I think we did Magic Kingdom. Then we did Hollywood Studios. Then we did no, then we did Epcot. Then we took a day in between just to break and just hang out. And then the last day we did Magic Kingdom. So um I'm sorry. Yeah, did I say Magic Kingdom? Anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. Um so it, yeah you gotta like you gotta plan for that sucker and you gotta just space it out. Um, and you got to decide which ones are more important to you. Like, we decided Animal Kingdom was not going to be important to us. Oh, uh, I, I, I did not I need to see the Avatar ride because I don't really care about that. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to be on the Avatar ride. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing too. But here's the thing that I think that Universal has the edge, at least in this department over Disney, is the fact that with their flash passes, it's unlimited at Universal. Like, you just buy the pass for the day, and they can skip all the lines. Whereas with the Disney one, you have to pick like three or something. Yeah, you and know what? It used Disney used to be like that's that. a pain in the ass. Disney used to like because I went to Disney like in two thousand three or something after college, and um, you could buy either a regular pass that you just you stood in line for all the rides, or you bought a fast pass, um, and that fast pass was unlimited. And since then, they've changed it. I don't know why. Maybe they got too many complaints or something. Maybe they thought it was more fair to like. You know, lower income families or something. I don't know, but like, uh, it, it used to be you could buy the flash pass separately and it was unlimited. So I don't know. Yeah, but, but I mean that's why we Universal we got to do so much is because like the the pass we had was unlimited. So we basically like hopped one one ride to the other. Like, you know, if we did Despicable Me and that ride that line was about maybe two hours long. Like, just think about that. Like. We got into Despicable Me. We did it in like ten minutes, right? But to wait on two hours, like that's two whole hours of a of only one day you have at that park. Is like you're wasting on a line, yeah, you know? That's it's just, the thing. So I mean, that's yeah, why I you got to like, plan do. it out. Yeah. So like, if, if it wasn't like, because <clears throat> my my theory is that it was probably motiv- motivated by like, let's let people who don't have as much money to pay for fast pass be able to have fast passes. You know, and you know, and then then it's all equal, and that's like if that's the case, I think that's noble. But I think the happy medium is 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 if you want to, you can still do that. So like your regular ticket includes like three fast pass options, but if you have the money, you can pay for an extra ticket. You can pay more for unlimited. 
I feel like yeah. that's the that's the happy medium. Yeah, I I think so too. Yeah, that's probably the <laughs> way they should go about it. But but yeah, um, did you get to do the Harry Potter? In, in I did. Universal? I did, and, and you know that was I think that's the one ride at because I think it had just opened like that year when I went. So that was the one ride they weren't allowing the the fast passes. So uh, I had to wait on that line, man. So that was about maybe a good hour I had to wait. And it sucked because it, it, it here's what's funny about that story. So we had tickets for The Revenant at the City Walk AMC. Mm-hmm. So we thought we were just going to go in and out of this Harry Potter thing. But it turns out that they weren't taking fast the, the fast pass for it. So you had to wait on the actual line, right? And that took about an hour. So by the time we actually got out of the ride and had to run back to the City Walk to get to the movie i think we had missed like the first five minutes of revenant but mm. i mean it's it was no big deal but but still like the it's just the fact that like we had planned everything out perfectly and then we kind of had we hit that speed bump so then we kind of have to run back to the theater to just to make the movie so all right well that i think that'll wrap up our discussion on snow white and uh disney theme parks in general um now before we go i'm going to announce our next movie and we're not going to pull out the random movie generator uh, our next movie is going to be horror themed for in honor of Halloween. Uh, just to, as a refresher, our first several Halloween episodes. Um, the first one we did was uh, appropriate enough the movie Halloween from 1978. The year after that, we did. Um, I'm blanking. What was the one we did after that? That year, Halloween. Halloween. We did Halloween first, and then we did The Exorcist. The Exorcist. Yeah. And then the year after that, which was last year, we did mm-hmm. Psycho. Uh, this year, um, I decided to have a little fun on social media, and I decided to do a single elimination tournament of eight of the most famous uh, Universal monster movies. Uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, Phantom of the Opera, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and The Wolfman. Um <clears throat> And uh, the and I had audiences uh, and social media vote for them, and the winner was Frankenstein. So that will be our October uh, Halloween horror movie. Nice for for our next episode. Um, by the time you hear this, it's it's roughly the end of October, as it like it's probably October twentieth as we record this. So we hope to get it recorded before Halloween is over. If not, it'll be slightly after November, uh, after Halloween. Uh, that's unfortunately due to timing. That's just how it's going to be. But I really do hope to get it in by the thirty first. Um, but that'll be our next movie, Frankenstein. Sounds fun. I can't wait. All right. So um, essentialfilmspodcast.com is the website. Essentialfilmspodcast at gmail.com is the email. Please like the Essential Films on Facebook and follow at Essential Films on Twitter. And please like, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, please listen to our other show, Force Perspective, hosted by uh, Mr. Mark Espinosa here, co-hosted by me. Mark, tell us what you, what's going on on Force Perspective. So we got the uh, the Joker episode that we did last. Um, basically, we, we invited Headcase back to the show, you know, in the lead up to the Joker, he had a lot of conflicted thoughts about how the movie was going to be. So now that the movie's finally out, you know, we kind of decided to bring him on, get his opinion on what he thought, especially with the, the Scorsese influence that it obviously has. So we had a great discussion on Joker for about two hours. It, it, it's, it's a fun time. So definitely check that out. Um, next episode, we're going to finally do our 500 Days of Summer episode, our retrospective on that one, which should be fun. And then, you know, we'll kind of go from there, you know, talking about like the latest releases. Um, we're coming up to the end of the year soon, so we might yeah, get to Oscar season. 
exactly. So that's going to be uh, interesting. And did you hear Oscars are early this year? They're February 9, I think. So usually they're at the end of February. Now they're yeah, at the beginning of February. So that, that cuts out like two or three weeks of us to to, to sneak in movies. So that's it's going to be a little rough. Yeah, and usually what, what I've tried to do like the last two years before the uh, the Oscar showcase I go to is I try to actually watch all those movies once before uh, I go see it. That way the second time, you know, I kind of have like, a different perspective and I'm seeing it as part of the marathon. Now I don't know if I'll have time. I may have to see, just kind of wait till the show can see some of these. Yeah, whatever gonna, they are. You know? Yeah, that's gonna be, it's gonna be rough, man. I wish, I wish it wasn't. They weren't doing them so early because it, it's not gonna give us time to get everything in. Yeah. And usually, I mean, for my own, just for my own end of year uh, lists, like I usually get it in like the day before the Oscars. My tradition is to like post my winners the day before the Oscars. I'm not. I don't think I'll be able to do it this year because I'm not gonna. Be, I don't think I'll have watched everything I want to watch by then. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, folks. I think that'll do it. Do you have any other plugs, Mark? Uh, no. I mean, you can just kind of follow me on Twitter at SportsGuy515. I you know just post randomly there at times about all topics. So if you want to kind of see what I'm thinking about different things, you can just kind of follow me there. Um, the show, is, the Force Perspective Twitter is at FP Movie Podcast. You can follow the show there. Um, and that's uh, that's pretty much it. All right, folks. Um, I think that'll do it for us, um, and uh, we'll be see you back once again with Frankenstein. And uh, we hope that uh, you enjoyed our show and Magic Mirror on the Wall. We hope that we were the greatest film podcast of them all for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>